This episode of the YVR Screen Scene Podcast is brought to you by Fish Flight Entertainment. This episode was sponsored in part by listeners like you. Join our Patreon community and receive early access to episodes, bonus content, stickers, buttons, and more. Visit www.patreon.com slash YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast, where we pull back the curtain and expose the beating heart of the Vancouver film and television industry, namely the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work, capital T, capital W. I'm Sabrina Ronnie Ferminger. You might be surprised to learn that one of the most contentious battles in the ongoing war to dismantle white supremacy in BC film involves Knowledge Network. And you would be forgiven for being surprised. This battle has not received a lot of media coverage. Like, you'd have to know what you're looking for in order to find it. Luckily, I knew to look for it. Okay, so Knowledge Network, it is the public broadcaster in British Columbia. Basically, you live here, you're paying for it. I love them for their documentary series, which I have always believed have highlighted underserved and underrepresented voices. But what I did not know, and what an equity audit at Knowledge Network recently brought to light, by recently I mean like two months ago, was that In the past seven years, only 1.7% of these public funds supported the work of filmmakers of color. And 0% went to indigenous majority owned companies. To put that in perspective, 1.7% is $34,000 of the $2 million granted to filmmakers. That's, that is not good. Knowledge Network president and CEO Rudy Boutinol said he had, quote unquote, major reservations with the audit as it, quote unquote, doesn't tell the whole story. He did, however, acknowledge that, quote unquote, notwithstanding that, we recognize the audit did point to the fact we have a lot of work to do in addressing the change that's been happening. Organizations including the Vancouver Asian Film Festival, the Racial Equity Screen Office, and the Documentary Organization of Canada, who initiated the audit at Knowledge, emphasized that this, quote-unquote, gross racial inequity in funding has harmed the careers of many filmmakers. Now, in response, Knowledge has instituted new mandates, which include, quote-unquote, just so much quote unquote, but we want to make sure we get this right. Taking immediate action to address this substantial gap, including adding quotas, quote unquote, over the next three years to improve access for quote unquote, equity deserving filmmakers, deserving filmmakers even. But does the creation of these mandates address the underlying systemic issue? Some say no, that our public broadcaster needs new visionary leadership. A group of diverse independent filmmakers and BC residents recently launched a petition calling for new leadership at Knowledge Network so that it can, in their words, once again become the people's broadcaster and the trusted repository of BC stories. They sought 500 signatures. Now, at around 450 signatures, the petition suddenly disappeared. 
having apparently been reported for violating community guidelines, which it didn't. And you know what? I am going to let our guest, Joella Cavallo, bring us up to speed. Joella is previous guest on the podcast. She's an award-winning documentary filmmaker. She's an activist. She also appeared in my three-part YouTube series, Real Talk About Race in BC Film. So we're going to have some real talk today about Knowledge Network and what this entire situation around the leadership of Knowledge Network tells us about the status of white supremacy in BC film. Hi, Joella. Hi, Sabrina. Thank you for that very impassioned intro. Well, I, I mean, all the quote unquotes that I was saying, I pulled a lot of that from the petition. I mean, there has been a lot of work already done. Uh, there is a lot of passion involved. Um, you know what, let's put a pin in the petition and go back to the audit. What prompted the audit in the first place? So I can't speak on the behalf of the organizations, um, Vancouver Asian Film Festival, Documentary Organization of Canada, and the Racial Screen Equity Audit. But I remember being um, uh, contacted um, by one of the leads of the audit, uh, Nilesh Patel, um, I believe in 2020, just to have a conversation about um, the, the role of broadcasters in Canada, but also in BC. And I believe that was just more of an information gathering um, uh, kind of journey uh, for Nilesh and Barbara Lee. Um, and I, you know, my um, perspective on that is that uh, kind of they heard in kind of my experience as well, um, racialized folks, indigenous and black people, um, filmmakers, their experiences with knowledge and probably seeing um, this pattern mm. of, um, at least for me, I have felt um, unwelcome. I have felt, um, I've been at the tail end of uh, being belittled and embarrassed. Hmm. Um, and it certainly, um, in my mind, made me, made me think that that's not an environment that I want to uh, pitch a project at because I don't think I would be supported. I will have this major caveat that in 2021, I did direct uh, a short film produced by Lantern Films. Um, that was commissioned by Knowledge Network that was part of their BC 150 stories. Mm -hmm. um, and I only felt comfortable and supported to go into that process because I had a producer um, that was willing to go to bat for me so that there was a little bit of a, um, a distance. Hmm. So yeah, that for me is, um, kind of my understanding of what led to doing further um, investigative kind of uh, work on the, um, the numbers and the, the data at Knowledge. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it says right there in the petition that this, the gross racial inequity, and we're talking numbers, like it's 1.7% of a 
$2 million budget has been, you know, granted to production companies that are, are, you know, owned by filmmakers of color, right? If I'm reading that correctly, um, you know, so that like, there is an inequity, like it's documented, but what, what do you, what is, how has this hurt the, the careers of filmmakers of color, BIPOC filmmakers, of indigenous filmmakers, you know, and, and what kind of impact has it had on, on, you know, the, the storytelling landscape of our province? As I said, um, for, for me personally, um, when you kind of track the the films that are being commissioned and the directors and producers who are commissioned to make them. At least for me, there's something that goes on in the back of my mind that you kind of flag. Mm. Um, if there are major indigenous stories being directed and produced by white filmmakers, something that you just put in the back of your mind and uh, I, for me, I just think that it's like, okay, this is not a place for me. Yeah. And year after year, and I've been working in the industry now up to like nine years. Mm. It's just something I've um, have come to understand that that is not a place for me. And I won't speak for other racialized folks and Black and Indigenous filmmakers, but I feel this kind of, when you're in a racialized body, not only within the industry, but just out in the world. These are things that you experience and kind of track. And, uh, and it's a way to protect yourself. Hmm. Um, and so that may have, then you just think of like, that is not an opportunity for me. So you go elsewhere. Yeah. But it's, I think it's sad that this is our public broadcaster. It's a broadcaster for all audiences in British Columbia. As you said, like we all pay taxes into it. And it's sad that it's not representative of all of us. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so let's, let's talk about the reaction then hmm. to the audit. Was there anything in the reaction to the audit, either from the media or from knowledge, you know, that surprised you? It was one of those, like, as the kids say, surprised, not surprised or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> they do say that. I'm an 11 year old, that's what she says. <laughs> surprised, not surprised. Yeah. yeah, something that I, again, I can only speak from my own experience. But when that audit and the report came out, there's something that I clocked in my mind of like, protect your energy, protect um, your heart. Because again, I've um, experienced microaggressions, experienced um, and seen uh, this kind of systemic institutional racism and there's that uh, feeling of protection that um, don't want to go into those feelings of pain. Mm. Um, that uh, as a creative, I just want to make films. But now I'm having this in the back of my mind. 
that there has been this bias. Um, so there was a good week where I just did not want to talk to anybody about it um, besides other um, filmmakers of color. And um, that was part of that processing. And I think a lot of people were processing it. Um, and I think what was striking was that even though there was um, the CBC broke the story, it was being shared with um, our Minister of Tourism, Arts and Culture and Sport, Melanie Mark, um, it still felt so quiet. <laughs> and something that myself and uh, two other filmmakers, Megna Halder and Chris Anderson wrote in our Georgia Street op-ed is that it's almost this, that silence was almost a form of gaslighting mm. um, that I know for myself and other filmmakers, we started to think like, is this, did we just make up this problem? Um, is this real? And so that was even more painful mm. than the actual results itself, that no one was speaking out on it. And if there were people that did speak out on it, it was... Um, debating the the results and there's this thing that I have experienced when it comes to uh, racialized folks encountering these um, these microaggressions and these systemic racism is that people with privilege they have the privilege to think intellectually about these things. Whereas filmmakers of color, racialized folks, we feel these things. Mm. <laughs> and that uh, the fact that, you know, for many um, filmmakers, they went uh, directly to argue the basis of the, the audit rather than trying to see the harm in which it has caused for a lot of filmmakers of color. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about um, 2020, June 2020, the summer of 2020, uh, when so many organizations and corporations and, and white people uh, had the black squares you know, and um, were really kind of patting themselves on the back, you know, for a lot of the performative things that they were doing, you know, to show like, oh, no, we are, we are committed to, you know, fighting racism and we're going to have diversity and inclusion speakers come in, you know, and, and I, I, I sensed a wariness then uh, in the racialized people that I knew that was, that was like, you know, especially people who'd been in this, doing this work for a long time, you know, that were like, what, it's not going to be about what happens this summer, you know, or even in the next few months. It's about the actions that we will see in the months, many months in the years ahead and the, the willingness to actually go in there and to do some real change and acknowledge, you know, our complicity, you know, in upholding and uplifting, you know, the, the white supremacist structures. And, you know, so 
that big intro for my question aside, like, what do you think this says about where we are as, uh, as a, a BC film and TV industry, you know, in our efforts to really authentically dismantle white supremacy? Do you think the will is truly there, you know? And what do you think it's going to take for actual real change to happen? Yeah, you brought up a really great um, point uh, of that moment in time back in 2020, um, incited by the Black Lives Matter movement after the murder of George Floyd, that there was a performance of allyship. And yeah, I think that, as you say, a lot of racialized folks, people who have worked in activism were, I don't know if it's like kind of holding our breath or just, let's just see what happens <laughs> in the months and years to come. And here we are two years later. Um, and this is where, yeah, this is where the actual work, the work, as you say, the capital T, mm. capital W, yeah. has to happen. And I think for a lot of people, our, our processing and trying to um, trying to find that way of like how they can support um, but also how can they also um, protect their own ambitions mm. and their own career and rep reputation. Yeah. And I think that's a challenge that I have certainly wrestled with um, more so as a woman of color, um, as a emerging slash established filmmaker, however you mm -hmm. want to see it. But that was something I, up until the publication of the, the Georgia Street article, was wondering, like, should I attach my name to this? Mm. What risk, what damage would I be doing to my career? And, you know, currently I'm producing my first feature film. I'm directing a short film. Um, these are, you know, works that are taking up a lot of my time. And on the side of my desk, <laughs> I'm compelled to do this activism work. Yeah. Um, and it's not to like put, pat myself on the back, but I think what the, the Georgia Strait article speaks to is experiencing so much silence from the community, from our peers, from leadership. I realized that I do no longer want to silence myself in favor of the status quo. Yeah. Um, that there are others who are more emerging than I am um, that uh, won't have that, uh, would, would risk, risk more if they, they spoke out. And so in some ways I have a bit of privilege in that sense of doing that. And I also stand behind Magda Halder, a South Asian filmmaker, um, and she should not be the only one also sticking her, her neck out. Um, yeah. yeah. And I should also point out that these inequities 
uh, in what we see on screen it does it does echo in the larger culture uh, in the larger society I mean I think that we are still at a staggering rate of anti-Asian hate crimes that are happening. I think Vancouver is one of the capitals for anti-Asian hate crimes in the world. Um, you know, so there is there is all kinds of violence uh, that uh, that is still happening, that's increasing, and that requires a real commitment to change. No question there, Joella, just my, just my editorializing. <laughs> oh, no. But I'm, I'm happy that you brought that up because, um, and this is not uh, for me to just share my trauma, but also to just show the reality that this is, this petition um, is more than just uh, the, an industry issue, mm. but also to point out to what racialized filmmakers, people of color experience day to day. So last week in my liberal progressive neighborhood, I was verbally accosted on the street and I completely froze, no one was around. And that feeling of like, did that just happen? And then I had to go back home and continue working and just, put on this professional face um, and try to do my work. And this is the kind of armor that uh, racialized filmmakers, people of color have to do on a day-to-day basis. And then to also experience it within an industry in our creative pursuits where we find meaning. It's um, it can be so disheartening. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry that happened to you. It shouldn't happen, and it's very unfair. Okay. I want to talk about what happened to the petition. Um, because it was very shocking when it disappeared from the internet after almost reaching its, its first goal. Uh, and... I mean, I went, I clicked on it to see where the position was. And it says this petition has been removed, possibly because it violated community standards. Um, And then I know that, you know, there were a lot of people who were tweeting saying like, huh, no, it didn't, no, it didn't. In that, literally in that tone of voice. No, 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 it didn't. Uh, And then it it came back the next day. Do we know what happened there? You know, or am I like, because the way that I said it was like, oh, somebody was like really upset that they're, you know, trying to... Uh, enact some kind of change in the leadership at at Knowledge Network, and are, are you know, and they're just like you know shaking the you know the status quo, you know, and and so somebody reported them, and you know, change was like, oh, okay, well, you know, m- without really a knowledge of what's going on, they're like, oh, it must fi- violate the community standards. And like, do we know what happened? No, um, we've written change.org. Um, when it was taken down, when we go to the website, it says this petition has been taken down, um, either because one, you took it down. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, we did not do that. Two, um, like your URL um, is incorrect. It's, that's not correct because a lot of people had the same link. Um, or three, it's been, um, it violated community guidelines. Um, and then when it's, 
reappeared the next day, less than 24 hours later, um, there was still no explanation. Hmm. You know, this is um, something I've, um, yeah, I've seen through other social media platforms, things being taken down with no explanation. Um, it's possible that it was reported um, because it was violating community guidelines. There's a comments page as well. Um, so it's still a mystery. Hmm. Um, yeah, and I was very adamant on, you know, like now we have to have this other battle with change.org, yeah. <laughs> trying to focus on the task at hand that there were still um, ways to support the campaign that didn't involve signing the petition. There was ways to write your MLA, um, share the, the campaign with your family and friends. Yeah. And what the campaign is asking is for a new vision at, at Knowledge, new leadership at Knowledge. What do you think we should be seeking from new leadership or a new vision? Yes. Um, and this was important. It's more about, yeah, seeking new leadership than fighting the old guard. And... I, thinking of um, my generation of millennials um, and Gen Z, people will, who will inherit this, essentially, um, we would want a leader who would um, integrate diversity and inclusion and equity into all levels of knowledge. Um, and that requires innovative vision mm. that requires um, a championing and awareness that there are many different kinds of audiences in our province. Mm. Um, so in, that they're serving the, the whole province. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, that's um it's kind of key for us that uh, we write in the petition or in our Georgia Strait op-ed is that we believe that all BC audiences are best served when diverse storytellers share their stories championed by the public broadcaster. And that's mm. key of that championing rather than begrudgingly yeah. <laughs> or um, casting doubt on inequities. Right. You want someone who would really take that mantle. Right. Because when we talk about casting doubt, I mean, we're, the CEO is quoted as saying he had major reservations with the audit. It doesn't tell the whole story. Um, so there's a little bit of, of uh, not getting the sense that this is somebody who fully accepts what the audit says, you know, and would be willing to, you know, do a massive, to lead a massive overhaul. So, okay, so the petition then, where, where can people find it? What can they do if they want to help, you know, support some kind of change of leadership in our, it's our, our public broadcaster here in BC. What can they do? Absolutely. So the first thing to do is go to change.org 
Because it's there. It's there. (laughs) It's there now. (laughs) It's back up. Yeah. Um, The title is Replace Executive Leadership at Knowledge Network. Sign that petition. Share it um, with your family and friends. Um, And I would suggest emailing um, directly, especially um, people in your network that you know watch Knowledge Network. Yeah. This is something that um, I'm unclear of whether a lot of Knowledge Network subscribers and donors are aware of this audit hmm. um, and those findings. I think you pointed out on social media that it's not like it's prominently featured on the Knowledge Network homepage. It's there, but you got to look for it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's part of the accountability part. Yeah. Of, um, yeah, acknowledging that. Um, the second thing is to write your MLA and to write the Minister of Tourism, Arts and Culture and Sport, Melanie Mark, yeah. who are watching closely at this petition. Um, the, if people are not aware, uh, Knowledge Network is a crown corporation. Um, so the Minister of uh, British Columbia, she, uh, Melanie Mark, she has a vested interest in how this uh, this petition goes, how yeah. it uh, resonates with the community. Um, and so those are the, the two things. And to ask your network to do the same. I mean, honestly, it's an exciting moment. You know, it could actually be seen as an opportunity to enact some real change and to, you know, make sure that Knowledge Network, which is, again, our network, our public broadcaster, holds a true mirror up and reflects back who we are, you know, who we are as a population. So I will make sure that there are links to the petition and to uh, the op-ed uh, that appeared in the Georgia Strait and to a- anything else that, I, that Joella and I feel that you need to see uh, in the footnotes for this episode. Joella, thank you for being here. We miss anything? You wanna drop some social media links or something? <laughs> No, I think we covered it all, and I appreciate you giving me the space to share more about um, our campaign. Well, we don't perform uh, anti-racism work here at the Wide Bear Screen Scene Podcast. I mean, we're really committed to to doing this work uh, in ourselves, and uh, honestly, like, I love this industry. I love the BC film and television industry, and I love living here, and... uh, yeah, we, we all deserve better. We deserve mm-hmm. better. So thank you, Joella. Thank you, listeners, for joining us in our continuing journey to dismantle white supremacy here in the BC film and television industry. Uh, please like, subscribe, leave us a review if you are so inclined. Five stars, no less. They help us find even more listeners, and we can keep having important conversations like these that, frankly, you're not going to find anywhere else. Uh, You can find us and all the footnotes at www.yvrscreenscene.com. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram at YVRScreenscene and also me personally at Sabrina Arpf. The YVR Screen Scene podcast is hosted and executive produced by me, Sabrina Ronnie Merritt Ferminger. 
I am the only one to blame, and it's edited by Simon Furminger. Special thanks to Mariana Furminger for recording our Patreon ad, to Paul Furminger for technical support, and to Dane, not Furminger Devilet. You are an honorary Furminger Dane. Uh, for the original music, my very screen scene is a division of Fish Flight Entertainment. Frankly, Joella, you are an honorary. You're an honorary Furminger as well. Uh, join us next time for another deep dive into Vancouver's dynamic film and television scene. And cut. This ad begins with a story about an important but largely forgotten piece of Hollywood North history, the fish flight. In the 1980s, the fish flight was an early morning flight from Vancouver that delivered fresh fish to Los Angeles before the start of the business day. These were the early days of Hollywood North, before digital deliveries and fast transfer speeds, and the pioneers of the Vancouver film industry began loading up the fish flight with film reels so Hollywood execs could review the footage shot on the previous day. The fish flight was also one of the building blocks of the visual effects and animation mecca that is present-day Vancouver. And Fish Flight Entertainment builds on this legacy. Fish Flight Entertainment serves the games, film, and television industries. We remember the days of the fish flight and attack our projects with the same passion as those pioneering days of yore. We believe in jumping off the cliff and building our wings on the way down. And who knows? That old fish with improvised wings may even fly. Learn more about Fish Flight Entertainment at fishflightentertainment.com. That's fishflightentertainment.com.